Please pray with me. Father, I ask that you would help us to understand this passage. I ask that you give us insight and the ability to live it out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does this passage mean? That's always the question, isn't it? If you had to explain this passage to somebody, how would you explain it to them? What would you tell them that it means? That was the problem I had six years ago. And I had no idea what in the world this passage was about. Would you humor me for a moment and close your eyes and imagine with me what this scene looked like? Jesus takes three of his best friends, three of his disciples, on this hike. They're hiking up this tall, secluded mountain, going back and forth across the mountain, gradually working their way to the top. They reach their destination, and then without any warning, Jesus' clothes become radiant, this blinding white. He becomes transfigured, which means to be turned into something more beautiful or elevated. As that's happening, Moses and Elijah appear. They have this conversation with Jesus, and then this cloud moves in, enveloping all of them, and God speaks. What is going through the disciples' minds? You can open your eyes. Some of you kept them open, it looks like, but that's okay. We have this strange, beautiful scene. And in the midst of it, Peter is scared out of his wits. He starts talking and saying some some stupid things. Do you ever say stupid stuff when you don't know what to say or when you're talking too much? This is our scene. Never happens for Jack, just for me. This is our scene. And so six years ago, I have this scene, and I'm supposed to tell people what it means, but what does it mean? So it's two months before I'm supposed to preach on this passage. The obvious thing to say about this passage is that it's a display of God's glory. It's it's a sign to show the disciples who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah, that he's God's son. But that didn't make sense to me. I don't think the disciples needed to be convinced that Jesus was a big deal. Just a week before this hike, Peter had explained that Jesus was the Messiah. They had that figured out. That didn't make sense to me that that was the main point of the passage because that also seemed kind of boring. And I have this theory about the Bible. I think the Bible is way more interesting than we think. And when we come across a passage that seems kind of boring or ho-hum, I don't think it's because the passage is boring. I think it's because we don't understand it. So we're about six weeks out from this sermon, and I'm still trying to figure out what in the world this thing's about. And I'm doing all the research I can and listening to sermons and looking at commentaries. And then I see a strange statement in verse 8. God the Father says, This is my Son, the Beloved. We've heard that part before. We hear that at Jesus' baptism, but then he adds, listen to him. I think those three words, listen to him, 
unlock this passage. Listen to him, exclamation mark. When does somebody say, listen to me? When does a teacher or a parent or a friend say that? They say that when people are not listening. Most of the time they say that when something important has just been said that was not listened to and something important is just about to be said that needs to be listened to. I think the disciples weren't listening. There was something that they were missing. I think they needed to be shaken up to have God pull out these these special effects to wake them up and say, guys, listen. So if that line of reasoning is correct, that there's something the disciples were not listening to, then we should see something before the hike that Jesus was trying to teach the disciples. And we should see something after the hike he's trying to teach them. And those things should be one and the same. For the remainder of this sermon, I am going to present you with evidence that God the Father and God the Son are trying to teach the disciples and us one of the hardest truths of the Christian faith. God does not call us to be nice like Jesus. He calls us to suffer like Jesus. I will offer you evidence that this is the case. I will ask you to make a ruling on that evidence, and then we'll take a look at the courage it takes to live this out and what that looks like. So first, let's look at the evidence. I present to you Exhibit A, Mark 8, 27 through 39. Please look at it with me. This is what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples before their hike. Peter just expressed brilliantly that Jesus is the Messiah. The disciples got that. They got that. So Jesus moves on to the next lesson. He explains to them how the Messiah must suffer, be rejected, and be killed. And then he goes on to explain how those who follow the Messiah choose the same course of suffering and rejection. And it goes over their head. Partway through this lesson, Peter interrupts. Out of loyalty and love and everything that is good. And he says, no. He says, Jesus, we'll find another way. We'll find another way to accomplish this. The disciples didn't get it. They weren't listening and understanding. And I don't blame them. It was and is a difficult teaching. We want our heroes, our leaders, to be strong and successful. People we can brag about and be proud of. But you don't brag about how everywhere your friend goes, they get made fun of and get in trouble. And and when we follow a hero... We want to be rewarded for doing so, not be some kind of outcast that that suffer for the cause. But in Exhibit A, Jesus is trying to teach us that the Messiah had to suffer, and so do those who follow him. So that's Exhibit A. Exhibit B is what happens after the hike. We said that when someone says, listen, it usually means Something has just been said that wasn't listened to and is about to be said that needs to be listened to. So Exhibit B happens after the hike in Mark 9 and 10. And in those chapters, Jesus 
teaches the disciples three times how he must suffer. In 912, 930 through32, and 10:32 through45, he describes this. And in 932, we're told again, the disciples did not understand. Eventually, the disciples got it. It took them a couple years, and, and they got it. And for us looking back at the story of salvation history, it's a lot easier for us to understand how the Messiah had to suffer, how that was not an optional part of the plan. But the part that I keep getting tripped up on is the second part of his teaching. In Mark 10:35 through45, where Jesus just keeps hammering away that it wasn't just the Messiah who had to suffer. In that passage, James and John come to him and they want to know the path to greatness. You know, Jesus, how do we be great? How do we get glory? And Jesus tells them, "You achieve that by following my way." There's a 500-mile way footpath in Europe that goes from France to Spain. It's called the Way of St. James. And along that path is a church where it's believed that the Apostle James is buried. And many people will hike on that path, some for purely recreational reasons and others as a spiritual pilgrimage. That way is a path. It's a road. It's a trail. Way in the Bible often means path or road. Early Christians were often described as followers of the way. People who followed the way, the path of Jesus. Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples, both then and now, what his way looks like. It's choosing to go down the same road he did. So that's exhibit B, the stuff that Jesus is teaching after the hike. And exhibit A and exhibit B match up. It's the same message. The last piece of evidence comes later on in the New Testament, which summarizes this all in a very succinct two verses, in Romans 8:16 through17. In that passage we read, "We are children of God. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, if we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him." We get written into God's will if we follow the way of Jesus. The road Jesus walked leads to glory, but it starts out with suffering for the kingdom. That may be the most challenging truth to comprehend about our faith, about the gospel. So here are the three exhibits. Here's my evidence for making this case. Are you convinced? If you're not, I hope that you will take this passage home and wrestle with it and figure out what you think it means. But I'm going to proceed like you are convinced, because I'm convinced. And if this is what this passage is about, then let's take a few moments to, to contemplate what kind of courage it takes to walk this path and what this path looks like. It seems to me that there's two different types of courage in the world. One type of courage is represented by professional athletes. I think sports takes a courage that's often underappreciated. You have to have the courage 
to go for your dreams. And you put your dreams and your goals out there in full view of the public. Everyone knows what you're aiming after. But most likely, especially the higher and higher you go in sports, you will fail. Most people forget how short the span of a professional athlete's career is. In the NFL, most players only last three and a half years. In the NBA, it's, it's 4.8 years. One of our professors told me after the 9 o'clock service that the average NFL player who isn't a quarterback or a kicker dies at the age of 51. We see all the glory and stuff, but it's, it's a very challenging, hard way of this. And that thing takes courage to go down that road. It's a courage that's about seeing you know, how much you can achieve on your own. But there's another type of courage, the courage to have the faith to walk the way of Jesus. And this is a tough kind of courage too because it's based on setting aside your talents and ability, setting aside your, your own desire and will to, to establish your own destiny and placing your destiny in the hands of someone else. And that is a frightening thing to do. Having the courage to believe that if you follow the Jesus way, that he will take care of you in spite of all the suffering and rejection you'll face. I think it's relatively easy to have faith that God will work out my eternal life. That my eternal destiny is set and and in heaven he'll take care of me. But it's a lot harder some days to have faith that he will work out our temporal life our life here and now, that if we choose to invest in his ways and keep following his path, that he will make things work out because sometimes his ways just seem so strange. I think we need to pray for for ourselves as individuals and for each other that we'll have the courage and faith to walk this path. That's the courage piece. But how do we know when we're suffering for following Jesus and when we're just suffering. We live in a broken world and we get sick, but just because we get sick doesn't mean we're getting sick because we follow Jesus. We live in a world that's messed up and we encounter pain and suffering, but it doesn't always mean that it's tied directly to our faith. Here's how I kind of sort those things out. So we visualize this path, this way of Jesus that we're following, this path that we're on, And we're doing things his way. And we progress along that path doing stuff his way. And from time to time as we walk that path, we'll see events coming up in the road that we know if we continue on that path will bring some kind of danger. Social danger, physical danger, some kind of rejection, some kind of suffering. And some days I'm tempted when I see those things to take a detour off the path and to take that detour and find a safer place on the path to resume the Jesus way. But in those times when we persevere and we stare down those events and we keep saying, okay, I'm going to stay on the path even though I know this bad thing is coming, that's when we know that we are suffering for following the Jesus way. And if we're honest with ourselves... As we do that, there'll probably be a moment of fear, a moment when 
like me, we're tempted to go off the path and find a smoother route. But the good news is, whenever we choose to stay the course, temporarily, you know, we got that awful stuff to deal with. But somehow, in ways we don't understand, that's what God uses to produce glory for himself and our lives and for his kingdom. All of this, of course, is much easier said than done. So I'd like us just to take a few extended moments of of silent prayer and to pray for ourselves and for each other that God will grant us the courage and the faith to do this. Let's pray. Father, we want to follow your son. We want to follow the path that he did. But we need your help. We ask that you would empower our hearts and our minds and our wills. That you would give us the courage and faith that we need. We pray that you would help us to look beyond the suffering and to see the glory that it will bring you and your kingdom. Please make us more and more into people who follow the Jesus way. We ask this all in his name. Amen.